The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. So Robbie Charlton, um, one of if football's one of, I was going to say English football's, but one of international football's most significant figures was last night celebrated as having achieved footballing immortality with sports and political figures paying tribute after his death at the age of 86. Andy Mitten is with us. He's sports journalist and also founder of United We Stand. Morning, Andy. Good morning. Andy, very few footballers are so completely and implicitly and intrinsically connected with the club for whom they played. He was seen as being part of an absolute golden era for United. How significant was he? Hugely significant. That's why the main stand at Old Trafford is named after him. He was a wonderful footballer, one of the best in the world. He won the lot. He was integral to Manchester United from from the 1950s until the 1970s as a footballer, and then later on um, in in the boardroom. And he was also hugely influential for England as well. He was a key player when England won the, the World Cup for the first and only time in 1966. The same year, uh, that he was voted um, European Footballer of the Year. So he's a truly incredible footballing talent. There will be, of course, a generation who will never have seen him play and he will be a historical figure rather than a, a sort of a current figure in their eyes. What made him, for for them, if you were describing him to them, what made him such a good player? Well, I'm slightly too young to have seen him play as well. I grew up in a family in Manchester with footballers in my family telling me how incredible Sir Bobby Charlton was, but... Yesterday, I, I I spoke to Brian Kidd, one of his former teammates, um, just before the news had been made public that Bobby had passed away. And Brian was obviously upset, but he wanted to speak and talk about him. And, and he said, Bobby's modesty and humility for a world-class player was incredible. He wasn't really vocal. He just let his football do the talking. A simple, like, come on, was enough to let me know that he wanted more. He, he led by example to young lads like me. He said, I knew I couldn't get near him as a player, but I just did my best to get into the same team as him. I played with George Best, Dennis Law and Bobby, three truly world-class players in the same part of the pitch, three European footballers of the year. And I asked Brian what made Bobby so special. And he said, I defy anyone to say whether Bobby Charlton was left or right-footed. He was perfect with both. He was graceful. He glided across the ground. He was elegant. He had this wonderful body swerve too. He picked the ball up anywhere and was a threat to opponents. He could hit the ball hard and accurately from distance. So he was a man who, who gave a great Manchester United man. He gave everything to the club. Um, and what, what strikes me about Bobby Charlton's story, apart from all that, and those wonderful words from Brian Kidd, is he saw his best friend dying in the Munich air disaster. And he came back from that to win the FA Cup league titles and to help Manchester United become the first English team to win the European Cup a decade after Munich. According to his brother, Jack Charlton, the, the Munich air disaster changed him in a way that from which he never recovered. Jack in his book said that he, he never, well, not never, I think Jack actually does use the word never, but he, he, he said that he stopped smiling. I'm sure it changed anybody. I mean, imagine being there, lying in on a runway in, in Munich and looking around and seeing your best friend dead. And he never denied that. He, he spoke about Munich very rarely, very reluctantly. But the first 10 pages of his autobiography 
start in Munich. And it's just horrific reading. And he said there's a price to pay for a miracle. And that price for him was Munich. And the miracle was that he survived, that football came so easy to him. He said playing football was just like breathing to me. Just, just, just came naturally to him. But he thought about those boys and the other passengers who died at Munich every single day of his life. He said sometimes it was a fleeting moment and other times he, he would think about it for, for, for much, much longer. So Munich undoubtedly impacted on him. However, I spoke to lots of his teammates and said on the quiet, he could be a little bit of a joker. He would go and see a film with his wife and the film might turn out to be terrible. And rather than telling them the truth, he'd say, it's a great film, you have to go and see it. So <laughs> you had all these world-class footballers going along to the cinema in Manchester and wasting two or three hours at a time. Talk to me a little bit about his relationship with his elder brother, because, of course, Jack Charlton is such a hero figure in Ireland that it's one of the few places in the world where you say the Charlton name, the first name that comes to mind is Jack and not Bobby. They were estranged for a long time. They were, and he, he talked about that later on in his life. And there's a wonderful moment when he received a legacy award in, from, the, from the BBC Sports Personality. And Bobby said, look, families fall out, siblings fall out. We had our, our ups and downs. Unfortunately, their relationship was much more in, in public sphere. And it was uncomfortable and they didn't always see eye to eye. The partners didn't see eye to eye either. But they'd fully reconciled and they admitted that there was a lot of love, there was a lot of respect there and I loved watching that. It wasn't so long ago um, when uh, Jack presented him with, with, with that award and he just said, hell of a player our kid. And I love that because they were both wonderful footballers and Jack was a far better manager than Bobby and Jack, as you know, in Ireland was such a huge character, what he did for Irish football they were different, but that, that that's fine. You know, I'm totally different to my brothers. But it doesn't mean we don't get on and love each other. And I think that um, so Bobby and and Jack um, were absolutely fine um, towards towards the end of their lives. What about his career post-playing? Because a lot of, of senior players struggle with that transition, whether it be into management, whether it be into the boardroom. How well did uh, Sir Bobby Charlton handle it? Well, he wasn't a great manager. And you, you feel sometimes that great players are going to become great managers. Rarely goes to plan. And a lot of the players in that team tried to hand up management with very, very mixed results. They weren't as successful as a lot of the post-Ferguson players in management. So Bobby Charlton settled more into an administrative role. He had his Bobby Charlton soccer schools, which for me as a young boy in Manchester in the 1980s, was, was a big deal. You'd go there because you thought, right, if I can get in here, then I'll be in the first team at United within a few years. Of course, the only person that worked out for was David Beckham. But you go to the sessions and Bobby Charlton was there. And he was a hugely influential figure. He, he looked good for his age. He dispensed advice. He was ambassadorial in the way that he carried himself. And... That was the role that he became at Manchester United. He was a director, but for instance, yesterday I spoke to a director from Schalke 04, the big German club, and his one takeaway from a 2011 game at Old Trafford, the semi-final of the Champions League, no less, 
when Schalke were defeated by United was meeting Bobby Charlton. So visitors would go to Old Trafford. They'd go into the stand, which now bears Bobby Charlton's name, and they'd meet the legend, the legend of, of English football, of Manchester United. And he carried it well. Not everybody did. You know, the success um, wasn't an easy thing for, for some footballers to deal with, but he was But also, it has to be said, Andy, serious, that, that level of, of success and adulation in England, because 66 is still talked about in England as if it is last week. To, to have been part of that team, the World Cup winning 1966 team, him and the brother Jack both playing, that must have been some level of extraordinary fame. I mean, there's a, there's a, a, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a story that said that for many years in, in England, a lot of kids, the first words they spoke were Bobby Charlton. Yeah, and, and I'm smiling as you say that because it wasn't just in England. You would go, or generations older than mine would, would go, on holiday, and, and the Spanish waiter, the only thing he would say was Bobby Charlton. And Manchester City fans used to joke a little bit that, you know, they'd just been away on holiday and nobody had said Bobby Charlton to them. It became such a, a, a cliche because he was so good, because he was such a huge part of that English team, uh, which were crowned world champions. He, he transcended um, football. And this was at a time when the Premier League wasn't global like it is now. He was one of the most famous English uh, people. And to play with his brother, well, that's just wonderful, isn't it? To that level and to be so, so effective. And they're from a very modest background. They're from Ashington. It was a, a coal mining village just north of Newcastle. And he was always very proud of that, even though he moved to Manchester at quite a young age. And he always stayed in Manchester. He, he was always settled in Manchester. And what a life he had. It's very sad yesterday and reading and hearing what people say about him and all these wonderful words, but he lived to 86 and he had the most incredible life. And I think people will, will remember that with great affection. And when I spoke to people like Brian Kidd yesterday, while they were clearly upset, um, they were so proud that they knew him and, and, and played with him. Do we know, Andy, what plans there will be for a send-off? Yeah, I think the game at Old Trafford on Tuesday against Copenhagen will be it will be very emotional um, it's a huge game but I think I, I recall when Smack Busby died in 94 um, Everton came to Old Trafford the next game and it was incredibly emotional and I think you'll see a similar level of, of reverence already and there are flowers outside Old Trafford and it's a big deal you've seen that and I've had so many calls in, in, in the last day and I've been getting people to, to, to talk about him, who, who I knew. I mean, I, I worked with Paddy Crone on his own autobiography. That came out at the same time as Sir Bobby Charlton. So these people are alive and, and very upset and will be at the game. And I'm sure it will be very, very moving. And I hope that Manchester United can get a win against Copenhagen because they need one. Andy Mitten, thank you very much for coming on this morning. That's Andy Mitten, sports journalist and founder of United We Stand. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.